0: before I came up. Wow, yes, so that's that's accurate. So um, all I can say is, is um, I was going over the, the list mentally of everything we've been through in six years here, uh, and it all started with the advice of the Drakes when we were in Germany, and we surrendered to do whatever the Lord wanted. We said, uh, you know, we want to be full-time Christians, not part-time, we're tired of this. And so we said, we want to do full-time Christianity, you know, And I, I like the way that Brother Hoffmeister put it when he said, you have a full-time job to fund your full-time Christianity. And, and I like that phrase. But uh, as I was going over thinking of everything we've been through, I was like, wow. And it all came down to one piece of advice that Pastor Drake gave me. is He said, when you go in, he said, go find the pastor. And he said, tell him you're willing to do anything. And then commit and never say no. And I said, Okay. And so we went in and we said, whatever you need, turn the lights on, empty trash cans, I don't don't really care what it is, Uh, we're just going to say yes to it. Uh, And that led to uh, a Bible degree, Uh, it led to uh, getting to do ministry work I never would have seen myself in, Uh, getting to lead people to the Lord, getting to uh, sit there and counsel people, disciple people, I never had done any of those things, and it was all because I decided, from advice of somebody who's much wiser than me, I'm just going to say yes every single time. So if the pastor approaches you and asks you something, you should probably say yes. Uh, I doubt that it's not the Lord's will that you do work around here. And uh, also, uh, you know, I kind of would dare you walk up to him and say, hey, I'm going to say yes to whatever you asked me to do. Uh, That's a little bit dangerous because sometimes you end up doing things that are a little uncomfortable, but it's okay. pastor will be there with you making it extra awkward. So, so uh, instead of going through the list of everything, uh, of all the people I'm thankful for, because each one of you has done so much in our lives, um, for the good, most of you, and so, the, so it's been so much, uh, and I'm so grateful for everything, and I can speak on behalf of my wife and my children, it's just the amount of gratitude we have for each and every one of you, um, whether you're the newest member here, or the oldest one that we ran into, uh, it's... It's just been an amazing journey while we've been here. And um, it's, each one of you has impacted us. Each one of you has uh, given us something we won't forget. Uh, and remember that when you're engaging with one another. It, it won't be forgotten, whatever you do. Don't get used to that. Uh, and then uh, a benefit of the military is we have to sit there and reflect on this once in a while because we say goodbye a lot. Uh, and it, it still makes it no fun. Uh, but, you know, I'm not choking up. Even though I am a little bit... But instead of going down a list of everybody I'm thankful for, because that would be too long, and Pastor took me through a homiletics class that taught me all your sermon outlines had to be five pages long, so we got to get to this, is I just made a list of, an extensive list of everybody I'm not thankful for, uh, and I figured that was easier, so I'll just go down the list of people I'm not thankful for, Roger Van Ornam, that's, that's all, that, that's, that's the only one I'm not thankful for in the entire church right there. I mean, really, really, uh, I could do a series of sermons on him, but I won't. Um, but no, really, I love you, Roger. Thank you for everything. So let's turn to uh, Psalms chapter twenty-six tonight. We'll get right into this. So I wanted to keep. Uh, I wanted to keep this and in spirit of Pastor McGovern, so I'll go through my three-point outline in just a minute with everything that starts with the same letter, so you can write it down, and you won't get lost. Psalm chapter 26 says, Judge me, O Lord, for I have walked in mine integrity, I have trusted also in the Lord, therefore I shall not slide. Examine me, O Lord, improve me. Try my reins and my heart, for thy lovingkindness is before mine eyes, and I have walked in thy truth. I have not sat with vain persons, neither will I go in with dissemblers. I have hated the congregation of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. I will wash mine hands in innocency. So will I compass thine altar, O Lord, that I may publish with the voice of thanksgiving and tell of all thy wondrous works. Lord, I have loved the habitation of thy house and the place where thine honor dwelleth. Gather not my soul with sinners, nor my life with bloody men. In whose hands is mischief, and their right hand is full of bribes. But as for me, I walk in mine integrity. Redeem me, and be merciful unto me. My foot standeth in an even place, and the congregations will I bless the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for the truths in here. And Lord, I ask that uh, this message tonight be effective, and have our hearts and our minds prepared to listen, and have all distractions and anything of saying out of the way, so that we can pay attention, Lord. We ask all this in Your Son's name, Amen. All right, so the setting of the Psalm in Psalm 26 is—it's uh, pretty easy. It was written at an unknown time by David, but this could apply any time during David's life because uh, I'm sure David found himself in, a t- in much and in many times needing to get on track with God or needing to improve his relationship with God. And he would be on course and off course, just like a lot of us in our lives. We, we get on course with God, and we'll get off course with God. We struggle to get back on, and we try to do right, and we know what's right, and it feels good when we do it. But in this psalm, God is showing us, through, through David, He's showing us a particular circumstance in which a person is on course, and they're genuinely trying to strive for more. And so they're trying to sharpen, they're trying to become refined, and they're trying to live a life pleasing to God. So this, this psalm is excellent for you. If you have been on course, you're wanting to improve your relationship with God, and you kind of don't know what to do to move forward in faith, and move forward in your relationship with God. If your relationship's off course with God, there's different scripture that you need to discuss, and you need to get with pastor and talk about. But this one's for those who are refining, who are trying to move forward and get better in their relationship with God because they want to move towards that next step in faith. And so, unfortunately though, the, you know, the truth is hard to sift through nowadays. So Satan is really good at, at what we consider hiding the truth. But it's not so much hiding the truth, it's camouflaging the truth. And so we use, the, you know, we use the example of a needle in a haystack because that would be very difficult to find. But in fact, Satan's turned it into a needle in a needle stack. It's very difficult to find what the actual truth is if you don't go to the source of the Bible because it looks like every other truth in the pile. Every needle looks like the needle you're looking for. It becomes impossible feeling to find what actually the truth is. And so when you want to find out how does your relationship improve with God, there's a million wrong ways, but there's only one right way. And this psalm is going to help you improve your relationship with God. David was a man after God's own heart. It's probably a good idea to model the things that he did if you want to have that title as well with God. And so, we're, unfortunately, we're just slammed with all this information. There's even 50 different translations of the, of the Bible in English today. We're fortunate that many of us in this church understand why we use the King James Version. Why that is the reliable English translation of the Bible. And going back to saying the Bible College, if you don't know why, sign up for the Bible College. You'll learn really quickly why you need to use the King James Bible if you're not using it. And so, the, and so there's 50 different translations, and so we're slammed with all this information about what's right, what's left, what's up, what's down, what's right... What's wrong, what's good, and what's bad? And so you have to sift through it, but you have to go to the source of the information. And that's where we get off track, is we just don't go to the source. We don't realize how much we're absorbing from all those other outlets of information, and it's starting to change how we think about our relationship with God. And so uh, I did a quick search on Amazon because at first I was like, you know what? I was like, this sermon looks like it would be about finding yourself. So I Googled, I went on Amazon and said, how many books say finding yourself? There was 10,000. And they were crazy. And so there was a lot of insane things that were on there. And I I got sidetracked because I started reading the the little narrative about each one and laughing. And I'm like, this is wacko. But they were selling millions of copies of these books that that were selling this garbage to people. Millions of copies, even though it looked insane to me. And so, and so examining yourself is not bad. So let's, let's first sift this out. Go to, so go to 2 Corinthians 13.5. There, there is a reason to, to examine yourself. So let's, let's line that up first. 2 Corinthians 13.5. This is where you need to examine yourself. And it's shown throughout Scripture. This is just one example. Second Corinthians 13.5 says, Examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. You need to examine yourself whether or not you are a follower of Jesus Christ before we ever even go into this sermon. Because following Jesus Christ is something that only you and Jesus Christ know. You need to examine yourself is, number one, do I even follow Jesus Christ? Because you can't refine a relationship with a father that's not your father. So these verses are not going to help you if you're struggling and you've never examined yourself first to know, am I a follower of Jesus Christ? You first have to solve that relationship. And so I implore you to examine yourself if you don't know if you're following Jesus Christ. If you're struggling constantly, that's because maybe you haven't trusted Him. You can't fix a relationship that's not there yet. And so so it's not wrong to self-examine. But you're not going to find true rest until you have the truth in what's in the Bible. And so, if you scripturally self-examine, that's okay. But we're talking about a different kind of examination. And so tonight's sermon is going to be about God as the judge, the jury, and no, not the executioner. That would be bad. The judge, the jury, and the goldsmith. It's a little bit different than how we view God sometimes. Because the world doesn't teach that point of view. But God teaches, this is the point of view you need to have with me. And so, we, so let's start out, and verse one and two is where we're going to spend about 95 percent of our time before we get through this. So don't worry, it is going to be like Pastor McGovern. First point is going to be 45 minutes long, and the next two will be very short. But, the, but uh, if you write down the, the sermon outline, I did just do this for, for Pastor McGovern. So the first one's going to be the pre-trial, then the petition. And then I had to write a piece so I have to remember it and then the purpose, right? So why why are we doing this? And so the uh, or sorry, not is proof was the last one, I changed it. So the pretrial the pre-trial, the petition, and the proof. It's really hard to do that by the way. Like that's I don't know why you do that to yourself all the time. It is easier to remember. All right, so let's start with with verse 1. It says, Judge me, O Lord, for I have walked in mine integrity, and I I have trusted also in the Lord. Therefore, I shall not slide. So, the truth in genuinely finding yourself that the world keeps calling it actually doesn't start with finding yourself. It's letting God find you because He is the one who can help you understand yourself. You have to let God examine you. David starts out with, Judge me, O Lord. He's asking for God, he's going up to the bench of God, the throne of God, and he's saying, hey, I'm setting the pre-trial, Lord, I'm asking for you to judge me. I want you to look at me and see who I am, because it's hard for us to know who we are. We have a lot of bias for ourselves, believe it or not. We think we're pretty good, and we think we have things together, but when you go to God and you say, hey, will you examine me as a judge, that's a little bit scary, and so, and so we, um, you know, we have to sort through all these mimic truths and we have to let God explain the truth to us. And so, so uh, when we look at God as judge, it's rare that, I'm sorry, when we look at a judge, it's rare that you would ever see someone go to an earthly judge and you would say, hey, judge, I'm going to give you an account of everything. I recorded everything I did for the past year. I want you to look at everything I've done and then tell me, did I break the law? And then I want you to to really get angry with me for the law I broke, right? No, I speed. I do that. I know people hear speed, right? I don't want that recorded and played before a judge. There's many other things that we do that are considered illegal by the world's law, by the U.S. law. And we would never record ourselves for a full year and then put it in front of a, a... earthly judge and say, hey, I want you to play this video and watch everything I did and I want you to tell me everything I did wrong. No, nobody signs up for that. Going to see a judge is no fun. That's because you got caught. And so for David to go in front of God and say, catch me. I want you to catch me. is because he's asking for perfect judgment. Why? Because that's where the refinement of your relationship starts. You have to have God judge you not yourself. When we go to self-examination, we start to justify things really quick, right? Oh, I had to speed. I was late for work. It it makes sense, right? Oh, it's okay. Uh, You know, I had to take a little money because I didn't have enough. I had to feed my family. We start to justify really quick. But in front of God, there's no justification other than what He gives you. And so the... So asking a worldly judge is just ridiculous. Nobody would do that. But asking God to judge you, we kind of take that flippantly, like, it's okay. He kind of overlooks things. But David's saying, Lord, judge me. And so, we, and so what happens, though, is that we find ourselves on a regular basis doing what we do all the time is we seek a second opinion And that makes us feel better. And so it's, you know, it's the whole thing of Google's going to set you free, right? So if you come across something you don't like that is preached in church by the pastor, or it's a message that just completely rubs you wrong, and say you're preaching on biblical dress, or he's preaching on tithing, or he's preaching on church attendance. this is for all the people who are moose hunting on church attendance. All these things. So, He's preaching on these things that are doctrinal and then they just rub you wrong. So what do you immediately do? Open up your computer, get on your phone. I'm going to find somebody that agrees with me and then I'm going to feel better. There's no second opinion with God. You go to His Word and you go to God and you pray, Lord, judge me. Where am I at with this? I need to understand, like, what am I thinking? Because I don't fully understand it. But instead, we get on Google, and we look for a forum. uh, See, right there. Right there. Men can wear dresses. It says, right there. You know that? A gay woman can pastor. It says, right there. No. You go to his word. And so we do it all the time at the doctor. Greg's not here, but I know he hates the doctor more than any human being I've ever met. But I don't like going to the doctor, but it's necessary and it's, it's probably a good thing, but it's still no fun. But they poke you and ask you uncomfortable questions, and they put stuff in you, and then they take stuff out of you, and every time it, it does not feel good. But we do this to doctors all the time. And I know we have those in the medical community who probably have had this happen, where you really know what you're doing. But the person says, ah, I want to seek a second opinion. What they're saying is, I want to find somebody that agrees with me. Because it's going to be a little less painful maybe if they tell me what I agree with versus telling me the truth. Because it won't hurt as much. And so we even do it in our day-to-day lives and we get used to it. And so you say, well, well, I think as a Christian I'd be able to find the needle in the needle stack. No, we let this creep in in our lives all the time. We say, I want a second opinion from what God says. I don't want him to judge me. I didn't go to him and pray and ask him to judge me and find out what truly is in my heart and what I am seeking and help me understand is that the right thing. We go to a second opinion. But David says, no, go to the only opinion you need. You don't need a second opinion. He said, find out what God has to say about it. And that is the fact. And if you disagree with it, I'm sorry. That's the fact. It doesn't change it. Google's not going to change the Bible. It's not going to happen. And so we've grown accustomed to seeking second opinions, and we enjoy surrounding ourselves with people who give us those second opinions. Don't fall into that trap. And so I'm hoping you understand that the needle in the needle stack's not as easy as we perceive it to be. We're not as smart as we think we are that we'll outdo Satan who's been doing this for a long time and he knows how to mimic a lot of what we're looking for that would be a truth of God to appease our flesh and we stop right there. And your relationship with God comes to a screeching halt. Don't fall into the trap. So the next time, where you have something like, hey, this is a biblical truth I really should probably understand, is search it out in Scripture and pray about it. God, judge me. Judge me, O Lord. And the other thing that he says here is he says, in mine integrity. You see, if you're going to go into the pretrial part with God and you're going to say, Lord, judge me, first of all, you have to understand what you're asking. That's serious business. You're asking Him to judge you right there. And then he says, I walked in mine integrity. Do not come into the courtroom like a slob. And so we would never invite somebody over to our house and say, hey, come on in, I put all my dirty laundry right in the entryway and here's all the stuff that's wrong, all my broken things and everything, you know. No, we shove it in the closet, right? We don't ever want people to look at it. We always hide it away. But but with God, he's saying, no, you need to if you're going to come and ask me to judge you, you need to at least be putting in the effort to have things squared away in your life. Don't ask me to show up and judge you and help you if you're not even going to do the basics of putting your socks away and you want me to come in and help you refine a relationship that you don't even care about. David's saying, I walked in mine integrity. I was morally straight and upright, and trying hard to have a good relationship with God. That's why I said this psalm is about somebody who wants to take it to the next step and be serious. This isn't about somebody who only shows up to church on a Sunday. This is about somebody who shows up to church, takes it serious, puts it to use, and prays about it, and tries to live right. So if you're that person, I know there there are people in here trying to do that. This is what you need to do. This is how you become a staple in this church with your relationship with God. And so he says, he's telling you, before you ask to be judged, make sure you're morally upright and you're practicing integrity. You're trying to do what's right before you come in and ask God to make things better. There's a different path you need to take if you've got that mess in your life like that. And you need to fix the bigger things. And so let's go on to, to verse 2. And so, uh, oh, sorry, uh, I'm not done with that one yet. Sorry, turn to 1 John chapter 8. Just one more more piece to that before we move past the pre-trial. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. Know this before you go up to the judge. When talking about your integrity says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. First of all, get pride out of the way and realize you sin. You have to realize that. If pride is preventing you from even recognizing that you have sin in your life and you got the dirty laundry sitting in the entryway and you don't even care, you need to talk to God about that first. Get the sin Settled in your life to where you have pride out of the way and you're willing to even go to God and say, hey, I need help with this to get this cleaned up. I need help. I can't do it. And then in verse 9, he goes farther and he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So what's some signals that you're going down this road is that you have a lack of prayer. You have a lack of thankfulness. You may go to God once in a while for this big stuff. But your prayer life really is not all that strong. That's how you know you're not really at this point yet. You need to go back to 1 John and you need to really pray with God and say, I need help cleaning up this big stuff first. I'm not at the point that I'm ready to refine my relationship because it's about to get a lot more serious in the coming verses. So let's go on to verse 2. Verse 2 says... Examine me, O oh Lord, improve me, try my reins and my heart. I find it. I find it really neat that Romans twelve two says renewing of your mind. It's a. It's an active thing. It's happening. It, nobody when they get saved instantly becomes a perfect Christian. This is something that you need help with, and this is where David is teaching. This is how you can get help with that renewing process to keep it active and fresh in your life. He says, "Examine." So turn to Ezekiel twenty-one thirteen. And the reason I'm doing this is because, as I went through this, I was like, "Examine, prove, and try." All seem like the same words, but they're three different Hebrew words, and there's a reason for that. So turn to Ezekiel twenty-one. Verse thirteen. We're just going to pause there to do a bit of a word study here. Ezekiel twenty-one thirteen, and also of the son. Uh, is all right. I wrote down the wrong one there. No, that's because I'm in Genesis. Why didn't somebody stop me? Yep. I'm that guy, huh? That's uh, that's later on. Don't get excited. Okay, let's turn here. Ezekiel 21.13. Because it... Here's the word, it is a trial. That is another translation of that same word for examination. It is a trial. And he says, and what if the sword condemn even the rod? It shall be no more, saith the Lord God. That was discussing that even God's judgment, there is no place. The rod, meaning the rulers of Israel, have no safe place from God's judgment. When that sword comes down and judges, it's true. It's sharp. Nobody can withstand it. It doesn't matter what your position is on earth. And so, in the, so the psalmist is telling us, examine me. He's saying, it's a trial. He said, it's a trial of God as the judge. And and so we look at this, and it goes back to him starting and saying, judge me. He says, examine me. Actually take me as I am right now, a snapshot of me as a person, a snapshot of me as a butler, as a penix, whoever you are, take a snapshot of me and I want you to look at me right now and dissect me, examine me, and judge me. Use that sword and say, this is where the sin is in your life. This is where the improvements need to happen in your life. This is who you are. This is where your errors are. And this is what you need to fix. He's saying, it's a trial. Judge me. Examine me for who I am today, right now. I need to know. That's why David probably prayed this prayer multiple times. Who am I today? Have I gotten better or have I gotten worse? Have I improved? Have I backslidden? Where am I? I need help with understanding who I am. And so the, so the first thing it is, is he says examine. It's a trial. And then he goes on to say prove me. He says prove me. And so the word prove, if you go to Genesis, that's where I accidentally turned the first time. So, See, I was almost right. Don't judge me. Genesis chapter, in Genesis chapter 22, verse 1, we're going to show what the word prove is getting to. This is another translation of that same word. And it came to pass after these things that God did, tempt, that's the word, tempt Abraham, and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. Another translation of prove is tempt. So you kind of start to get the idea of what he's asking for. He's saying, dissect me, examine me, and and put me on trial. See who I am today. And now he's saying, prove me. He's saying, put an opportunity in front of me where you can evaluate me actively doing something that you want me to do. Don't just look at me today and say, oh, yeah, I did pretty good today. No. Put something in front of me and, and watch me and give me an evaluation I do this at work all the time for my airmen. They have, a, they have an evaluation they have to go through. They can study. They can know every one of the technical orders. They can know the ins and outs of the equipment. They can know each other really well. They can go through all the training. But guess what? I put them out in the field. They have to set up everything and be actively evaluated while somebody stands there and watches them. That's a whole different ball game from saying, oh, I think I know what I'm doing. And so this proving is tempting. And so let's clarify. James 1.13 James one thirteen. I won't flip there for time's sake. James 1.13 tells us that God will not tempt you to evil. We, we always give tempt a bad connotation. But Abraham wasn't being tempted to evil. He was being tempted to do the right thing. So we'll make up a fake scenario here about a guy named Bob. And there's a guy named Bob who's going to be eating sweets. And so Bob... Goes up and he says, I want to eat these sweets. And we'll make up another fake guy named Ryan. And Ryan comes up and he's like, hey, Bob, you you know, I want to tempt you with the salad, right? The salad's good. Hey, you should eat the salad. Well, he has to decide. Does he want to be tempted to eat the good thing? God will put that in front of you just like Abraham. Tempt me with the good things. David is saying, put a situation in front of me where you're tempting me to increase my faith. And watch what I do with it. Oh, that's a hard question to ask. So when was the last time you, you asked God, Hey, judge me for who I am. And by the way, I want you to put a situation in front of me where you're going to watch me to see if I actually choose to do the right things that you put before me. And so think about it. When was the last time that you asked God for an increase in faith with a temptation to do the right thing by saying, Lord, will you please put a lost person in front of me today where I have to give them the gospel and I feel convicted about it and see what I do? Do I know how to do it? Am I actually going to do it? Or am I scared? Put a situation in front of me where you get to watch me and see. Am I actually going to take what the pastor has been preaching about and I'm going to do it? Am I actually going to take what I've been reading about in devotions? Am I going to do it? You say, wait, we can pray that God positively tempt us in our life? Yes, right there. Prove me. Prove me. Put me to the test. And evaluate me. And so what is, the, what is the purpose of this? Why is he exact asking to be dissected and examined for who he is by God and then being put actively to the test and evaluated? What's the purpose of that? It's in the next few words. He says, try my reins and my heart. And so this is, this is God acting as, as the goldsmith in your life. That word try, that word try, go to Proverbs 25, And a, a lot of you know this one. I know Mitch Butler can probably quote it because he knows how to quote almost the whole Bible and I mildly envy that in his life so proverbs twenty five verse four says "Take away the dross from the silver and there shall come forth a vessel and there's the here's the translation the finer." It also is translated in nehemiah thirty two as refine and it's translated or sorry nehemiah three thirty two as goldsmith. And then it's translated in Isaiah 125 as purge away. So it's refining, it's purging away. a yeah, goldsmith. And we all kind of know what a goldsmith does, right? Tries to make fine jewelry. And so what's the purpose of this? Why is he getting examined and proven? Is he says, try my reins. That's really neat is reins what he's talking about is, is kind of funny. Is that one? It's a lot of word study in this one. I was kind of surprised about. Like they're talking about like the liver, the guts of who you are. He's saying, "Try my reins, refine my reins, refine my character, my moral character, and who I am." He's saying, "I want you to refine it." You know, because you meet people with bad character, right? We all work with somebody who has bad character. We know somebody who has bad character. And You're like, man, they just got a rotten character about them. Well, from God's point of view, you've got a pretty rotten character that probably needs fixed. And he's saying, I want, to, I want you to examine me and prove me because I want, you to, I want you to refine me. I want you, as the goldsmith, to look at me and take that dross, that filth out of my life so that my character is improved so that my, my nature of what I decide to do, my, my very being and my essence and what I, what I want to do is driven by good moral character so that's what I'm known for. Because each one of us has a reputation, and David's saying, I want that reputation where I'm just known as a morally good character, and you can refine me to be like that. And so that's what Reigns is talking about. I want to be a morally good character. I want you to refine me. I want you to take the very who I am, the guts of me, and just make me better. And so that's change, which terrifies a lot of Baptists, but that's change. And it's, it's tough. And so he says, try my reins. So try what drives me and pushes me and makes me go forward. It's interesting when I was going through some of the old commentators translated, or didn't translate, but they, they correlated it to vigor, which is like what kind of gives you the life to do what you do. What, what gives you the, the drive to move forward with something? And what I started thinking about was, was uh, like, like a mother who comes up and Their child is injured, right? And they get that extra strength. They have that vigor. They have that life. They have something that's driving them to do more than they ever thought they could do. And they're able to rescue their child. Or you're able to push on farther than you ever would have. And we've all done that. We've worked on projects. We've worked on things around the home. We've worked on relationships where you just had that drive because you really wanted to get it done. And they had that vigor and that life to do it. And David is saying, I want you to change that about me. I want you to make that me where my drive and my passion and my want comes from a desire to please you, God. That's tough. And so, the, so do you get as passionate about God and church as money and a career and sports? What really gets you going? That's what you're passionate about. So it doesn't mean not enjoying things. You can enjoy things, but what is your passion? So there's people here tonight, I'm not here tonight, who enjoy moose hunting. But some of them reveal their passion by what else they chose to do in lieu of finishing the hunt. Some went to church. Some decided to do other things. You reveal your passion by what you do. And so David's saying, I need that changed. I need you to refine it for me. And so if you don't get excited about the, the things of God, if you don't get excited about those things, then you need to really think about these verses. Why don't you get excited? Probably because you've never asked God to change you. Because that's terrifying. Because then you might lose those things you're passionate about. You might lose a little money. You might lose a little bit of fun. You might lose some of your activities. Because your passions are changing. But you have to remember when your passion change you don't care about that anymore. Amen. Your passion has changed. Amen. So don't be scared of it. Don't be scared to change. Don't be scared to ask God to shape you differently. And that's what David wanted. So he says, try to refine my moral character, the guts of who I am. And then he says, he goes on next to say, in my heart. So how is that? How is your heart and your reins different from one another? So you're... Your heart is talking about your, your thoughts. That's what it, Scripture always correlates it to, is, is what you think. You ever notice that when things happen to you, sometimes you feel like you can't control what you think? For example, let me give you an example. You're driving down the road, and you're down off 3rd Street, which is not a very good area, right? And, and I say this because this has happened to me. You come up, and a homeless guy comes out, and starts pounding on your window, yelling at you, and then what's the first thing? Ugh, go away. Like, leave me alone, right? You start to have these thoughts, right? Like, ew, gross. Leave me alone. Oh man. Scum of society. All these things start going through, right? It's like you can't control your thoughts. You know why? Because you aren't. That's exactly what's happening. You're not controlling your thoughts because you never tried. And so why do you have trouble controlling your thoughts? Because they're not being refined by God, the goldsmith. He can help you control your thoughts. Why? Because, oh, your passions are going to change. So your thoughts are going to change. How you react is going to change. The very essence of you is going to change. Your character is going to start to change. Your demeanor is going to start to change. Maybe Roy Butler will smile before I leave here one day. So these things will start to change. And so your thoughts will start to change. Your heart, he says, He says, refine my heart. Help me control the thoughts that I have. And I was talking at teen camp with, with some brothers about that and, and there, there's things, because I was not saved until I was 20, there's thoughts, there's memories. They're all like, oh, Lord, please stop those. Please. You, it's hard to control thoughts. It's hard to not have things triggered. And David's saying, Lord, you can control those. But where does it start? You have to genuinely go before him and ask, judge me. Judge me. I don't want to know myself. I want to know what you know about me. Because I will deceive myself. And so Jeremiah 17, 9, everyone knows, says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? God does. He knows your heart. But unfortunately, I think we get stuck that we actually don't want it to change much. So don't get stuck in that rut. And so the... And so where does David go with this? He goes down a list after this, and now he's going down the list of proof. He went through the pre-trial. He said, Lord, I, I've been trying to live right. I'm trying to maintain my integrity. I'm trying to do what's good, but I really want you to refine me. And so he goes into, he goes into listing the things that he needs. Examined, proven, attest, right? And then he needs refined. And then he says, all right, here he goes. I'm going to list the proof of what I've been doing, Right? Have you ever gone down a list of proof of what you've been doing that maybe God would find acceptable? That's hard. We we don't really sit there and do that. We don't sit there and think, man, like when was the last time I actually did something that God would accept? Would find good and right that I've done? You know, when was the last time I went out and it's I think that was Brother Hoffmeister too, when was the last time I went out and I did something for the first time for God? When was the last time I tried that? And so it, it goes through a, he goes through a list here. He says, I have not sat with vain persons, neither will I go in with dissemblers. I have hated the congregation of evildoers. And you're going to start to see a theme of what he's saying. He's saying, Lord, here's my action. Here's what, you, what I see and what other people see. Here's what's physically visible to the world. And then he says, here's where my heart was and my desire, and I'm pretty sure that this is... What you see in me, he says, I hated the congregation of evildoers. The reason I didn't go sit with them is because I had at the core of me, at my heart, I hated the sin. I didn't even want to go around it. So, do you not go around evildoers just because people would catch you? Or is it because in your heart, you hate the sin and you avoid it as much as you can? Oh, that's, a, that's a question you have to ask yourself. Why do you avoid the sin? Is it because of the reproach of others, or is it because of the reproach of God and that you hate it? He's saying, this is my action, and this is my motivation. And so I was going through Haggai, and in verse, chapter 1, verse 5, he says, consider your ways. And that's how I ended up in this psalm, was I was going through actually asking God, what am I? Why do I do what I do? I don't understand a lot. What's motivating me? You never stop and think about that. And David's saying, "This is what I did, and this is what motivated me." He says, "I will wash my hands in innocency." So will I compass about, thine, compass thine altar, O Lord. Physically visible things, right? He's saying, "I'm going to maintain myself around good counsel, around good people, and I'm going to be in your house." Look, we're in church, but what's your motivation? He says, that I may publish with the voice of thanksgiving and tell of all thy wondrous works. He says, I am with you and I do what you want and I am in church, essentially, right? Even though he wouldn't call called it then. I'm in church. Why? Because then later my motivation is is that I am able to actually publicly show thanks for you and I am, and I am able to declare those wondrous works because if your heart's not genuinely in it, You're a fake with why you're doing it, and your motivation's off. You can't do those things. You can't be an example like that. He's saying, this is my action, and this was my motivation. And so, if you were to fill in the blank there, this, I went to church, and this is, why? Why? What's the blank right there? And I know each one of you knows the answer to that. I went to church. I compassed thy altar, Lord. I went to church... Why? Why'd you go? Well, that's what we always do. Or is it actually because you want to bring glory to God, and you want to be able to actually show thanksgiving to God, and you want to declare the wondrous things He's done, and the good things He's done, because you actually are motivated to be there for the right purpose. And what does that look like? You're going to be around doing things that maybe other people don't notice. You are going to be the person emptying the trash cutting the grass, you're going to be the person giving counsel in the corner, helping somebody, putting out a fire over here so pastor doesn't have to deal with it for three days in his office. You're doing those things. Your motivation is right. But if your motivation's off, I went to church and I walked out as soon as the sermon was done. It's going to start to look like that. He says, that I may publish with a voice of thanksgiving, or sorry, Lord, I have loved the habitation of my house and the place where thine honor dwelleth. It started with love. He said, gather not my soul with sinners, nor my life with bloody men, in whose hands is mischief, and their right hand is full of bribes. But as for me, I will walk in mine integrity. He circles back around again. He says, don't count me with, with the sinful, with the lost, with those who don't follow you. He says, he says but as for me, I will walk in my integrity. You won't find me in that pool. You won't. Because I'm trying to stay morally upright and do what's correct. And he says, My foot standeth in an even place, and the congregations will I bless thee, Lord. He's going down a list of proof of action and motivation, saying, I can list what I did and why I did it, Lord. I'm going before you as the judge and the jury saying, this is why I did what I did. And that's the same thing, you go before a judge and say, now, and I know Sam probably, I don't know if he sits in courtrooms yet. He, oh, does he? Yeah, yeah. He probably hears that all the time. Well, judge, this is why I did it. And, this is, and then they start to go into why they were motivated to do it, right? Which usually doesn't help them. It, it probably notices. They probably they they don't help themselves once they go into their motivation. Usually a criminal doesn't stand in court because they had the best motivations. But when you go before God, maybe you're avoiding going in front of the judge because you don't have the best motivations. Maybe you don't want to say, Lord, judge me. Mm, my motivations might be off. Do, you really, want him to do uh, you really want him to do a dissection on your life? Are you even ready for the next phase where you say, Lord, put a test in front of me? You know that? Maybe that test is John Penix is going to ask you to come out on the boat. That's a real test, going out on that boat. I've never been scolded as a grown man in my life before I went on a boat with John Penix. I was heavily scolded. You know why? Because I didn't realize how hard it was, and I wasn't prepared mentally for the amount of work it was, and so I was off track a bit. But there, there are certain things you have to do. If you want to refine your relationship with God, it starts out with that pre-trial. You need to say, "Lord, judge me." But are you ready? That's serious. Are you ready? Have you actually been trying to live your life right to where you're saying, Lord, I'm trying to move forward. Come and judge me and examine me. And then are you ready to to go to the next step where you say, okay, dissect me and then put the challenge in front of me. And I want you to watch me. And I want you to give me feedback and tell me, did I actually do what was right when you put the challenge in front of me? And Lord, the reason I think that I'm ready, I think that I'm ready is isn't because I sit there and do nothing. It's because I've been doing this because I love you. I've been doing this because I want to serve you. I've been doing this because I have a heart for you. Are you ready for that? So, so I challenge you, Christian, if, if you want to improve your relationship, your relationship with God, it starts with asking Him to judge you. But make sure you're ready. Do not take it flippantly. Make sure you're ready. And when this all started with Consider Your Ways, which was all the way back at teen camp, I think, when we were discussing this, was I was nervous about this. The first time I, I asked the Lord, please judge me. I want to know what's, what's motivating me. And he put some circumstances in front of me that made me realize some things were off and my motivations were off a little bit. One of them being is the, the wife I married. She lets me know when I'm off all the time. But we'll go ahead and close in prayer. I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. So tonight, I said that the self-examination is not wrong, but you have to do it biblically. So I ask you tonight, examine yourself. Where's your relationship with God? Do you even have one? Don't even think you're going to the next step, which is to refine a relationship you don't have. Do you have a relationship with God? And then, Christian, I ask you, when you if you need to come forward and pray, whatever it is, that are you ready for that? Have you been living a life that actually you can say, this is what I did and this is the reason I did it, and I think I'm ready, Lord, to start refining my relationship with you to where I want to ask you to judge me and examine me and put a challenge in front of me to try to tempt me to do more for you and increase my faith?
1: It's going through Psalm 26. Let me ask this. Let me go to the one point he was talking about. How is that relationship with God? Or do you have one? Please understand that you are going to die and stand before Almighty God. That will take place. I don't believe it. It doesn't matter. It will happen. You will die and you will stand before Almighty God. He's going to judge you. So much better now, as he was establishing through his introduction in the first point, that you examine yourself now to see whether you be in the faith. That's the first thing to examine. Are you actually in the faith? I'm not asking you if you attend church. I'm not asking you if you got baptized. I'm not asking you uh, anything of the sort. Are you genuinely in the faith? Has there been a time of genuine conversion in your life? A time when you repented and placed your faith in nothing but Jesus Christ. Because if he judges you, listen, you've broken his law. He's not going to look at you and say, well, you and I got our own thing worked out. You know what? You got baptized and that city water just took away that sin. You joined that church. I saw you stay faithful to it. That's not how that works. If any of those things had anything to do with salvation, then God sending His Son in this flesh was cruel. There's no need for it. But none of those things can bring us salvation. None of them. Understand that. It's deceit. It's only in Jesus Christ that we have salvation. Nothing else. Don't add anything to it. God sent him here to live the perfect life for you. The only one who could go to the judgment as a man, and the Father can say, You're innocent. He's the only one. But when he went to that cross, that was to take your place. Was to take your sin upon himself. And God the Father said, Yes, I'll accept this. This will satisfy my justice so that he could save you. So God the Father placed upon his Son the sin of us all, and he judged him in your place so that he could also then freely give you his Son's perfect righteousness. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. When Jesus died on that cross, he literally took your place in judgment. That is your answer for salvation. Not in a church, not in the waters of baptism, not in your good works. But in Jesus Christ, who is the Savior of mankind. We know those words, but so often our faith is divided by so many things. Your faith must solely rest upon Jesus Christ. Anyone here say, Pastor, listen, that's me. I'm not sure that I am converted. I don't know what's going to happen to me. I hear you right now. Please pray for me. Just put your hand up where I can see it and put it back down. I won't call you out. I see some small children, one person in the back. Yes, ma'am, I see that hand in the back. You can put your hand down. Anybody else? You say, Pastor, please, I would like somebody to talk with me. I'm going to pray for you in just a second. But if you put your hand up and say, listen, I want somebody to talk with me. I have workers right here that can come by and just take you aside and just explain to you what I just went through of what Jesus Christ did for you. You say, Pastor, yes, I would like that. And I would encourage you to do it. Say, Pastor, I'd like that. All you have to do is look up at me, and I'll send them to you. And I'll continue on. Anybody, If, if you'd like that, you just look up at me, make eye contact, and I'll send them to you. All right? We're going to give an invitation. If you want to come forward and pray when others come, you're welcome to. I can I send somebody right there just to talk with you. You're certainly welcome to do that. And Christian, the Bible is incredible. Of how practical it is and how it helps us. Just like Brother Conley went through in Psalm 26, of pulling the truth out of there that could help you every single day. Of that pre trial, examining yourself, being honest, to be improving. What proof is there? He started off by trying to encourage you. said, listen, this will deal with, this will help you refine or strengthen, I should say, that relationship you have with God. He was right. That'll do that. If the Lord worked on your heart, you come and pray. Father in heaven, bless this invitation. Lord, I certainly pray for the, the one who raised her hand. Lord, I pray for, pray for her salvation, that, that drawing and that conviction. And Lord, I pray that you work now. I pray you be glorified and honored. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet. Let's turn to page 174. And if you need to come and pray here this evening, you come and pray. 174.